afternoon. This is our second part of the, our 11th anniversary, and it's nice to have you, whether physically or online. We have seen it in the movies. We have seen it in real life, lovers, close friends, and family members being set apart and saying their goodbyes and giving their promises. The one who's living says to the other, I'm coming back, wait for me. The other who's being left behind says to the other, I'll wait for you, promise to return. I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know what percent of those promises were fulfilled. I don't know how many of those reunions happened, but we all know from the movies and from real life that some reunions happened, some promises were fulfilled, some of those who promised to return did return, some did not. Others waited, but others moved on. A young man uh, phoned his girlfriend and said, Hey, babe, I've been waiting for you for two hours. Where are you? I'm sorry, babe. Uh, I'm at work and I have to finish something, but I'm almost done. Please wait for me. I'll be there ASAP. Okay, babe, you are worth the wait. How do you know if someone is worth waiting for? The Bible tells us to wait on the Lord, and Psalm 27 verse 4 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's not easy to wait, and if we're honest, it's not easy to wait upon the Lord because we don't see Him and we don't hear His voice audibly. But the Lord tells us to wait upon Him, and He says that He will enable us to wait upon Him. He gave us wonderful promises and assures us that He will never forsake us. He says that nothing, no one, not even our imperfect selves, will be able to separate us from His love. He assures us that His plan for us are for our good. But... Does he fulfill his word? Will he keep his promises? Is he worth the wait? The Bible says he is, and countless numbers of people throughout the generations testify that the Lord keeps his word, fulfills his promise. And if we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, somehow we have that witness of the Spirit saying the Lord is worth waiting for. And the Holy Spirit, even when we're down, he will lift us up and enable us to wait upon our God. Psalm chapter 130, the passage of our anniversary celebration, is a psalm of complaining. Right there in the beginning of the psalm, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The writer starts with a complaint. What strength is the writer does not ask that he be rescued from his enemies, he asked God to be rescued from himself. The psalmist did not ask for the enemy's punishment. He asked for the forgiveness of his sins. And so Psalm 130 is also a penitential psalm. It's a psalm that is sang to ask forgiveness from God. It teaches what God does to people who cry out to him for mercy and who wait on him. Now if you look at your Bibles, whether it's old school Printed Bible or electronic, 
At the bottom of Psalm 130, it says, A song of ascents. By its name, by the phrase, it tells us that Psalm 130, you would find that there are other psalms that are called song of ascents. So there are several psalms that are described as song of ascents. By the name, it tells us that it's a song that people sing as they're going up something, as they are ascending some high place. And in the context of the Old Testament, because the temple of God is in a hill in Mount Zion, the Song of Ascents are the psalms that the Israelites sing as they go up the temple of the Lord to worship Him, to offer sacrifices, and to celebrate the feast that He commanded them. And so if you combine the two, a, a, a penitential psalm and a song of Ascents, Psalm 130 is a psalm that the, the people of God sing to ask for forgiveness, to prepare themselves so that when they reach the temple of God, they would be ready to worship the Lord and meet with Him in His temple. Now what spoke to me in Psalm 130 is in verses 5 and 6, which says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits for the Lord, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And so as the psalmist cries from the depths of his being, he asks for God's forgiveness. And trusting and believing that God will forgive him, he waits upon God for God to show his steadfast love and redemption to his people. Now the phrase, more than watchmen for the morning, if you know this, was mentioned twice. What do watchmen wait? They wait for the rising of the sun. And that speaks that the Lord is worth the wait. As sure as the sun rises the next morning, the Lord is sure to come to redeem His people and show them their steadfast love. Psalm chapter 130 invites us to rest upon the Lord and to appreciate the journey that He walks through us. And oftentimes He brings us to green pastures and still waters and to get there, we pass by scenic byways. But sometimes to get to those green pastures and still waters, He makes us pass through dark valleys or deep forests. And when we are through those dark places or dark moments in our lives, we don't know what to do. The only way for us to get out is to stay with the Lord, to wait upon the Lord and follow the Lord. Bible teacher Warren Worsby said, that God must prepare us for what He has prepared for us. I think it's in Second Corinthians where Paul says, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. In other words, Paul is saying, whatever God is preparing for you and me, it's mind-blowing. It's out of this world, but we're not prepared for that. We're not yet prepared for that. So in this life, God is preparing us for what He has prepared for us. In our text, we find six reasons or six explanations or, or arguments why the Lord is worth the wait. Why the Lord is worth waiting for. Let's pray.
it's been a waiting game for all people in the world because of the situation. But as we wait upon you, we serve you, we worship you, Lord. And I pray, O Lord God, that even though it takes quite some time, we will discover that you are worth the wait. That you will show time and time again that you are worth waiting for. For you fulfill your promise, you will redeem your people, and you shower us with your steadfast love. I know you would fulfill this, but the problem is that sometimes we cannot wait. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get impatient. So we pray that you save us from this dilemma that as the psalmist asks for your forgiveness and then wait for you more than watchmen, wait for the morning, you would show that you are worth waiting for. In Christ's name we pray. First, He is worth the wait, according to verse 1 and 2, because we desperately need Him. Billy Graham, the evangelist who died, I think, last year, I think, uh, he told of a young president of a gun organization who from time to time would instruct his secretary that he does not want to see anyone because he was in a special meeting. On one of such occasions, the chairman of the board of that company just dropped by his office and demanded to see him. Of course, the secretary said, I'm sorry, sir, but he doesn't want to be disturbed because he is in a special meeting. Now, that is the chairman of the board. And so he says, what are you talking about? He barged into the president's office only to be surprised to see the young president down on his knees crying. And so quietly he retreated the office and then asked the secretary, does he do this often? And the secretary said, uh, yes, sir, almost every day. And the chairman of the board said, no wonder I go to him for advice. The psalmist reminds us again of the importance of praying, of coming to the Lord, to pour out what is in our hearts and to hear what He has to say to us. And His prayer in our text is not cold, it's not mechanical, it's passionate, it is desperate. He says in verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, those words paint a picture in my mind of either a man drowning or gasping for breath, unable to swim ashore or to safety, or the second picture that those words paint in my mind is a man in the pit of a well asking for someone to rescue him. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The tense of the verb cry indicates that the writer had been crying to God in the past, and he was still crying while he wrote Psalm 130, because without God's merciful intervention, he would drown, he would die in his misery. These verses speak of our human depravity, of our helplessness and hopelessness with God brought about by our sin, and I think it speaks of the current state of the world today and where it is heading. Unless the Lord reaches down to us, we will drown in our misery. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Prayer is not ordinary prayer. It's not lip service. From the bottom of his heart, from the innermost part of his being, the psalmist cries to God, to the bottom of God's heart. 
And I'm reminded of another psalm written by another psalmist. Psalm 42 verse 7 where it says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, O God. That line speaks of a beautiful sentiment to my heart. The deep part of us crying to the deep part of the Lord and we hear the Lord saying from the deep part of His being, speaking to the deep part of our being, saying, Know me. For those who have tasted the Lord would like to taste more of the Lord. And so from the wells of our heart, we cry to the well of God's heart, Here I am, Lord. I want you. I need you. And from the depths of our soul, from the innermost part of our hearts, we are told we know that the Lord is worth the wait because there is no one like Him. There is none. There is none that even comes close. I am amazed whenever a new iPhone is out. When I watch the news, hundreds if not thousands of people line up Apple stores, even wait the previous morning before the store opens, every time a new iPhone is launched. Perhaps they think there's nothing like the iPhone. I also came across this Canada Goose jacket. Oh, very expensive. I went to Metro Town to ask. I just went to ask. No intention of buying. And I was told it was out of stock. And people are willing to be put on a waiting list to be able to buy a Canada Goose jacket. Because they think there's no jacket like this. Rare things, one-of-a-kind things, are certainly worth the waiting. God is worth the wait because there is no one like Him. There is nothing that even comes close to Him. And from the bottom of our hearts, from the innermost part of our being, we know that the Lord is worth the wait because there is none to help us. There is no one else who could save us and there is no one who could satisfy our souls to the utmost. He is worth the wait because we desperately Patients with serious conditions wait for that special doctor or surgeon to see them or to operate on them because there's no one to help them but those doctors. Visitors of other countries wait for that airline that is willing to take the risk to bring them home as long as it takes. They're willing to wait because there's no one to rescue. We wait for the Lord for as long as it takes because no one can save us but Him. Unless the Lord gives, we will not receive. Unless the Lord heals, we will not get well. Unless He speaks and reveals, we will not know and learn. Until He saves, we are doomed. Until He guides, we are lost. Until He empowers, we are powerless. Until He protects, we are vulnerable. And so the psalmist says, Out of the depths of my heart I cry to you, O Lord. And then he remembers the prayer of Solomon when the, when the temple was dedicated, that Solomon realized that God's eyes are focused on his people and his ears are attentive to their cries, that he says in verse 2, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. We can cry to God from the depths of our perplexity, fear, and disappointment. He is worth the wait 
because no one else can help us and save. In verse 3 to 4, we find He is worth the wait because He has forgiven our sins. Criminals do not wait for the police. They run away from them. They try to escape. Debtors, those who owe people money, hide from their lenders or from bill collectors because they cannot pay. However, sinners are called to wait upon God because God has promised to forgive our sins and has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And so from the scene of someone drowning in the sea or from a person in the bottom of a well, the psalm the psalm is the writer of Psalm 130, shifts to another picture, that of a courtroom, courtroom drama, and he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And like the apostles Paul, Peter, and John, and all honest people, the psalmist knew that there is none who is without sin except the Lord Jesus. So any man who stands before God will not be able to stand before God because God is perfectly holy and we are perfectly sinful. The wages of sin is death. If God is to mark our iniquities, we cannot stand before God. The word mark means to observe or keep a record, to note down, to write it down, to mark, to notice. And God could easily do that. He could mark your sins and remember them forever if He wants to. And He would be right to do it. And so therefore, the only way for any person to be able to stand before God is God and escape His righteous judgment is for God somehow to find a reason not to mark our iniquity. Itagalag isulat sa yelo. The only way for a sinner to come to the courtroom of God and not be destroyed by God's holiness is for God somehow to find a way or a reason to forgive our sins. And the good news is, He did. He has decided to forgive our sins and made a way for our sins to be forgiven. So the psalmist writes in verse 4, But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be that is why if you read the Old Testament, God provided animals to the people of Israel so that those animals could be sacrificed for the atonement of their sins. And then in the New Testament, God provided His Son, the Lord Jesus, so that His sacrificial death on the cross can wash the sins of those who would follow and believe in Him. But if we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. First John 1 verse 7. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. God is ready and eager to forgive all those who come to His sin in repentance and faith. Jesus, who became, who is the Good Shepherd, became the Lamb of God and took away the sins of the world and took responsibility for our sins and paid all the penalties of our sins on the cross. And so anyone who comes to Him 
as far as the east is from the west, God removes our sins away from us. Praise the Lord. It is wrong but understandable when people try to hide from their creditors or when they hide from bill collectors, you know, when they're not able because they're not able to pay. It is wrong but understandable when criminals run away from the police and the justice system because they will be arrested and imprisoned. But it is unwise and absurd to hide from someone who truly and sincerely promises to pardon our sins. You don't run away from the person. You wait for such person. People who owe taxes to government wait for the government to act when the government promises that they are extending or offering a clemency period or a tax amnesty. Taxpayers wait for that tax amnesty. Or visitors of a country who overstay their visa, they wait for the government when the government says that there will be a grace period when they could leave the country without getting penalized. You wait for people who promise to truly and fully absolve you of wrongdoing. Therefore, it is absurd when sinners do not wait on God who has promised to forgive our sins and did what is needful so that our sins can be forgiven. With God, there is forgiveness so that He may be feared. We fear Him no longer because He will punish. He has dealt with that. We fear Him because He has promised to do the opposite. We fear Him because He's not only powerful enough to punish sin, but He's also powerful enough to do something so that our sins can be forgiven. And so in this regard, to fear the Lord is to revere Him, to hold Him in very, very high utmost respect. It is to be in awe of Him. It is to be eternally indebted to Him and grateful to Him. Because He has forgiven our sins, which are many and terrible. That's why the Lord is worth the wait. Because we sin every day, and our sins are many and terrible. But Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Are you somehow afraid when you die when you meet Him? We do not need to worry if we believe Him. If we belong to Him. Your future meeting with God is not something that you should dread, but look forward to with joy and excitement. But that is, if you belong to Him and He belongs to you. Because you are meeting the judge who has become your loving father. You're meeting someone who bled and died for you on the cross so that your sins may be forgiven through faith in Him. The Lord is worth the wait because He promised to forgive our sins and He has done what is needful so that our sins could be forgiven. Third, the Lord is worth the wait because He has given us His Word. It is futile to wait if there's nothing to wait for. Hey Amen. I've been waiting for you for two hours. Why? I did not tell you to wait for me. You cannot fault such person. Hey, I've been waiting for you. Why? Did I tell you to wait for me? It is depressing to wait for someone when that someone has not promised to come to help. The good news is God has given us His word. He is worth the wait because He gave us promises and He will fulfill his promise. 
Verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. We do not wait or hope on the word of people. We wait, we wait on the word of the Lord because He will fulfill His word. One of the descriptions that God gave to him, strange, but one of the descriptions He gave for Himself is He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You know, nowadays, if I call, you know, bang, bang is the word, people have a negative connotation. That means I'm talkative. I might even gossip. But God had the courage to describe Himself as the Word. Because He is someone who wants to express His thoughts to His people, to His creatures. The Word implies that He wants to speak to us. He wants to communicate with us, whether verbal or nonverbal. I think it's Psalm 18 that says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and His skies proclaim His handiwork. So God speaks to us non-verbally, and then He speaks to us verbally. Through His Word, through His prophet, yes. There are times when He remains silent. There are times when He does not send His prophets, when He does not reveal His Word, when He does not give His people vision. Because his people have sinned or ignored him or rebelled against him or took him for granted. But at other times, the Lord speaks. John 10, Jesus says, I'm the shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. The shepherd speaks to his sheep. If we're not hearing God speak, maybe we're not taking the time to listen. He gives us His Word, and He wants His Word to be heard. Because God wants us to be in a relationship with Him, and He knows that for the relationship to flourish, there must be a constant exchange of words, communication. Then God speaks to us, and He wants His Word to be heard, understood, believed, and remembered, and followed. Didn't He give us the Ten Commandments, which He wrote with the fingers of His hands on top that's of stone? Why? Because so that it would be remembered for a long time. He did not print it. Sometimes, you know, when we print it out in paper, in receipts, tax receipts, or gas receipts, after a year you would see they're faded, right? When you go to Petrocan, you print the, the receipt. After a year you see it's faded. The Lord wrote the Ten Commandments in tablets of stone because He wants His people to know and remember His words. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 6 to 10, he says to his people, And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently on your hand, unto your children, and shall talk of them when you see it in your house. You shall bind them as a hand on your a sign on your hand, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. God says. I want you to remember my word. I'm speaking to you, and it's for your good that you hear and understand what I'm saying. To the prophet Habakkuk, God says, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. The Savior declared in John 6, 63, The words I give you are life, and they are spirit. And the Lord said to the apostle John, 
in the book of Revelation, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. I hope you see it's very clear that God wants to speak to His people. He wants to speak to you. Question is, do you want to listen and hear Him speak? God has given us His word, of course. Most of the word look when they go to the Word of God, sometimes what people do, they look for loopholes. For something to criticize in God's Word. If you're that kind of person, be warned. God does not give us His Word so that we would criticize His Word, but so that we would understand, believe, and follow His Word. The Lord has never told us to judge His will. He called us to do His will. He has given us His Word to enable us to know Him, be close to Him, serve Him, and learn to enjoy Him. This book, this book contains His words. Here He promised to help us, to provide for us, to rescue us, to come for us. And so we wait on Him. Here He vowed to transform us, to mold us, and to make us more and more like His Son. So we wait for Him. Here He pledged to satisfy us, to comfort us, and to gladden us. So, we wait for Him. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seat in the seat of mockers. But blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and day and night he meditates upon that law. While most people are forming their own opinions, and crafting their ever-changing standards and principles. What is right today will not be right tomorrow. Always changing based on what the majority thinks. God does not change His word. What is wrong 2,000 years ago is still wrong today. Blessed is the man, or happy is the man, who waits on the Lord and relies on His never-changing word. That is still true. Therefore, what the Lord says will surely happen. God has given us His word and He has laid His reputation on His word. He will not tarnish His record. Yes, when He gives us His word, it takes some time for Him to fulfill His word. God has a schedule. He has a timetable. And the time He gives His word and the time He fulfills His word is on different times. And in between, we are told to wait upon Him. In the right time, in the right way, He always and will always fulfill His word. Therefore, we wait on Him because His word makes Him worthy to be waited upon. History tells us testimonies of countless of people and the whole of creation witness to the sincerity and faithfulness of God in keeping His word. So the psalmist writes, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word, I hope. Centuries later, the Apostle Paul would write, He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Who is worth waiting for? Is our spouse worth waiting for? Definitely. You wait for your spouse. You said to God that you would wait for your spouse, that nothing will separate you but only death. Do we wait upon one another? Yes. Most of the time. But of all the people who told you and me to wait, 
The Lord is the most worthy to wait upon. The Lord is worth the wait. And that statement speaks not only of God's worthiness, but of the blessedness of those who would wait upon Him. He deserves to be waited upon, and it is good for us to wait upon Him. The Lord says, Isaiah 49, Then you will know that I am the Lord, and those who wait for me shall never be put to shame. He promised them. They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. You are worthy to be waited upon, Lord. For there is no one who could help us. There is no one like you. There's no one who could satisfy our souls to the utmost. There's no one who could heal our sickness. There's no one who could save us. We wait upon you because you have promised to forgive us our sin. Holy and perfect as you are, you desire to forgive your people. So you sent your son to die a horrible death on the cross so that you could forgive our sins without violating your holiness. And so we wait upon you. We wait upon you because you told us to wait. And you've given us precious promises. You gave us your word. And you've never backtracked on your word. Didn't you say, I will not violate my covenant, nor alter what my lips have uttered. And so we wait upon you. Father God, as we endure this difficult situation, as we go from year to year, even as we age, until the day when we meet you face to face, we wait upon you. And we know that you will never put to shame those who wait upon you. I ask for strength. I ask for renewed inspiration. I ask for the renewal of hope. I ask for joy and eternal pleasures for those who wait upon you. For I know and sure that you will show again that you are worth waiting for. You are the God who is, who was, and is to come. And we worship, praise you, and serve you. In Christ's name.